0: To a brother Three awake can rouse a town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about responding to the gospel. I want to, uh, as I said, we're going to be, um, last week I talked about fasting, and if you've missed that and you want to catch up on that, go, go back and have a listen to last week. Also, last year I did a series about, about five messages on fasting. So you can even go back a whole year and have a listen to them. So I don't want to spend the whole time that we're fasting talking about fasting. I think we've covered that. I want to talk about um, the pursuit of our fasting this year, and that, and that is to be consumed by Him, that, that we would be so full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to live a life uh, led by the Spirit. Um, but first of all, I think it's really important that we set a foundation for that. Um, And so we're going to look at what it means to respond to the gospel uh, this morning so that we can be filled. And so I want to prepare us uh, for an outpouring, for an inpouring of the Holy Spirit um, over the next couple of weeks. So um, so today I want to address this idea that Dallas Willard, who is a great author and teacher, uh, an idea that Dallas Willard calls the salvation confusion. The salvation confusion. And um, I, I think when it comes to being a, a Christian, to, a, becoming to be a follower of Jesus, I forgot something, didn't I, Sarah? Yeah, yeah okay. Let me just jump in here. I, I, want, I want you to indulge me for a minute. Um, Sarah's going to hand out a bit of paper uh, that has uh, two, two, a space for two questions. Space for two questions. And I, what I would like you to do is I would really love it if everyone would participate and fill this out. This is for my research purposes um, and I think it would be really, really helpful. So what I would like you to do is once they're all handed out, I'm going to give you the two questions and I want to give them one at a time because I don't want them to influence each other and uh, then we're going to uh, hand them all back. So while she does that, um, let me just continue a little bit. Um, so, so when we talk about salvation, I, I think the ideas that we sort of have are—you uh, uh, know—we throw around ideas like, uh, "Am I saved? Are you saved? Is she saved? Is he saved? If I still do this, will I still be saved?" And, and we kind of can get a little bit uh, living in fear of whether I am or I aren't saved. Have I done the right things to be saved? And and what ever, does it ever mean to be saved? And and I I, I want to just un, unpack that a little bit, or actually. Uh, demystify that a little bit. I, I think a lot of that sort of stuff is actually really, really unhelpful. And so I want us to maybe take a little bit of a different look at what salvation really means from a b- b- biblical perspective. Um, all right, so the first question is that I want you to answer is, is am I a Christian? And, and so you might go, no, I'm not, and that's okay. Um, but am I a Christian? And then I want you to uh, write, in the bit that says explain, I want you to write, well, what makes you a Christian? So, am I a Christian? Yes or no? What makes me a Christian? Put in the explain bit. So, I want you to write for a little bit. What is it that makes me a Christian? What is it that makes me a Christian? And in the second one, I want you to answer this question and then explain. So the question is this, am I a disciple? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And you might go, I don't even know what that means. And that's okay, we're going to look at that this morning a little bit. But maybe we, we could put, am I a follower of Jesus? Maybe that can be, um, you could, if you're not sure what disciple is, maybe just go with, am I a follower of Jesus? Then explain, what, what makes me a disciple of Jesus? What makes me a disciple of Jesus? All right, and once you're done, you can fold it. Uh, don't put your name on it. I don't want to know who, who wrote who. This is just for research purposes only. Uh, this is going to help me to um, uh, look at what I'm going to unpack over the year because um, I think these are really important questions. All right, once you've folded up, pass it down to the middle, uh, at like end of the road towards the middle, and then um, Sarah can collect them all. And, and if you're take, still taking time and you're not done, you can pop it in the drop box at the end. Uh, but we'll try and collect them all now so that we have them all. All right, so we're talking about responding to the gospel. And... Um, And why, why do we follow Jesus? Now, I, I don't follow Jesus because, um, because I am saved, or I don't follow Jesus to, to become saved. I, I follow Jesus because salvation has come alive in me. So salvation has come alive in me. I, I'm a new person with a regenerated spirit, that is, and that, that, that salvation is saving me. It's, it's washing me clean. It's making me whole, and not through my righteousness, but through His Now, the first thing that I want to point out is this, is that, that no one can actually follow Jesus in their own strength. It's actually impossible. Uh, we actually need the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Um, and, and some of this, what we're going to talk about this morning, we'll, is covered in, in our um, Grow course and Follow. We've got a few of these booklets out the front as well, if you want to grab one of them. But no one can actually follow Jesus in their own strength. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, Paul says, No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And so the reason why I wanted to ask the two questions at the start is because I personally believe that the answer to those two questions should be the same. They should actually be the same answer. What makes me a Christian is also what makes me a disciple, but to be a Christian is to be a disciple. And and I think one of the assumptions that has been made across Christianity is that they can be two different things, that that I can be a Christian but not actually be a disciple, not actually be a genuine follower of Jesus. And so I want to demystify that that this morning and unpack it a little bit. And so... What what happens is, is basically what happens is what we, what we present as the gospel, what we present as what it means to be a Christian, actually determines what we say discipleship is. And so if we say that being a Christian is just praying the right prayer and believing the right thing so that we can go to heaven when we die, there is actually no purpose for discipleship. There's just no point to it. It's, it's only for the really hard out Christians. Or, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's so, so we actually have to be, uh, we have to actually unpack this really well. So when Paul said no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit, Paul isn't talking about saying the words. He's not saying no one can say the words Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. No, he's saying no one can actually live a life genuinely submitted to Jesus as Lord and King of their life but by the power of the Holy Spirit. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus is Lord, His Word becomes the pathway to life, and when He speaks, we obey. I, I was listening to someone recently who was talking about um, uh, how, we, um, how we hear the voice of God. She does a lot of teaching on, on hearing the voice of God on a daily basis. And, and one of the th- things that she said is, at the very start of our journey of, of hearing the voice of God, we have to make one decision. And, and that one decision is that, that we will obey whatever he says. Because the moment that we decide that we are, are not going to is the moment that we stop hearing his voice. And, and, and she said that she's found that for most believers, the issue that they have with not hearing the voice of God is that they haven't determined that they're actually going to do what he says. And maybe if you're in a point of your life where you're struggling to hear the voice of God, maybe you need to go back to the last thing he said and see if you were doing that. See, we need to actually move Jesus from our advisory board to being Lord. He's not just on our advisory board, someone we go to for a little bit of advice. No, he is Lord. And so when he says something, we obey. All right, I feel like I'm not really getting into it yet. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 2 says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you. The good news is the gospel that I proclaim to you when you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which you are are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe, in, in vain. Uh, this passage is, is describing what it means when, it, when, it, when it, we're talking about salvation. So it says, in which you also stand, through which you are being saved. Through which you are being saved. Now, I, 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 I like to think of it like this. I, I am saved, I am being saved, and one day I will be saved. This is not just about one day in the past I did the right thing, and now, one day, I'll get to the right place when I die. No, Salvation is about an ongoing, daily uh, outworking of God in our lives. It's actually following Jesus on a day-to-day basis. It's what it means to be a disciple, that salvation is outworking its power in our lives on a day-to-day basis. That, that we are being saved. Now, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Well, I think this is a really great description of what it means to be a disciple, uh, that we are engaging with God as the as whole triune God, that He is Father, Son, and Spirit to us, and, and that we are growing uh, in, our, in our knowledge and understanding of who the Father is, and that means that we are actually growing in what it means to be a family, and so a disciple, someone who is following Jesus, is someone who is growing uh, as, as a family together. It's impossible to be a disciple on your own. You, you cannot make a disciple and you cannot be a disciple in isolation. It's an oxymoron. It does not work because discipleship is about participating in a family and in a community. So, so being a disciple means we are growing and, and our knowledge of who our Father is, which means we're growing uh, as a family. We're, we're learning what it means to love one another. We're, we're learning what it means to love one another. A, a disciple is someone who is, who is uh, growing in the likeness and image of the Son. We're becoming like Jesus. And what does it look like to become like Jesus? it looks like we're starting to become servants. We're starting to serve one another. We're starting to serve those around us. And we're starting to do that without an agenda. We're starting to serve without an agenda. Uh, who knows, like I've got people in my world uh, at the moment who um, they'll come to our house and they'll offer to help to do something. It's uh, not anyone here, don't worry. There's someone in our world. So they'll come to offer to help to do something but I know that there is an agenda attached to it. I know that, that, that they are counting up the amount of times that they did this so that one day they can, they can get it back. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Do you follow what I'm saying? And so what that is, is that serving with an agenda. It's actually serving uh, not, not with uh, the heart of Jesus. It's actually serving through manipulation. It's actually, and so sometimes we can serve others so that we can get uh, a sense of significance. We want people to notice us, and all of that sort of stuff. That is, that is not love. That's manipulation. And and so we know that we we are becoming like Jesus when we can serve without an agenda. We can serve one another without an agenda. A disciple was someone who is who is becoming a missionary. We're we're engaging with the power of the Holy Spirit. He is is leading us and guiding us. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, He he comes upon us for the mission. I I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, the Holy Spirit is in me for me and He's on me for you. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit is in me for me. He's transforming me from the inside, uh, but the Holy Spirit is on me so that when the Spirit comes upon me in power, I can move in the gifts of the Spirit. And that's for others. That's for the mission. And so a disciple is someone who is engaging in these three things. We are becoming like God. And so when we think about our, the, three, uh, the four things that, uh, that, that we believe here, that everyone belongs, that everyone can live free, that everyone has purpose, and everyone is significant, I believe when we start to um, move towards these three things, we start to live a significant kingdom lifestyle. So um, everyone belongs, that's about us um, engaging in knowing and being known in relationships. We are becoming a family. A a disciple is growing in love for one another. I I believe that the truest expression of freedom is service. The truest expression of your freedom in Christ is that you serve others without an agenda. That's the truest expression of Freedom. And a disciple is, is increasingly becoming empowered by the Holy Spirit for the mission of God. See, what, what is our purpose? What is our purpose in the world is to partner with God to restore all things back to their original identity and purpose. That's what we're called to. When we get these three things lined up, we start moving towards them, we start to live a significant kingdom lifestyle. So, how do we make disciples? We, we engage the head, the heart, and the hands. So you cannot be a disciple and you cannot make a disciple in isolation. We have to engage one another in these things. It's only in community that we can engage our head, our heart, and our hands together. And this is what makes disciples. And we're we're going to unpack this a lot more this year. Uh, but I wanted to quickly skip through that just so we get a bit of an idea of of, of uh, what it is that we're trying to do, I, I believe, and it's, uh, it's becoming more and more of a conviction for me, is this, that, that if we build a church, we, we may get disciples. But if we build disciples, if we make disciples, we will always get the church. And so this is going to be um, my goal this year, and, and a big part of why I wanted to get some feedback on where everyone is at is the understanding of, of salvation, understanding of the gospel, um, so that we can actually go on a journey this year to discover what that truly means to be a disciple of Jesus. And there's going to be some new things we're going to um, uh, uh, bring in uh, for how we can actually do that in community, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, so when we, when we faithfully follow Jesus... Um, by responding to and allowing the gospel to influence and lead every area of our life. Uh, So this is how we follow Jesus. And it's all of these things. And we actually have to be in community together to actually ask one another, how are we going with these things? And how are we responding to the gospel in these areas of our life? Jesus said, um, when he first turned up, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and, and he said, repent and believe, right? And so this is how we respond to the gospel. We repent and believe in the gospel. And so how, how are these areas playing out in our life? Um, when, when was the last time that you went through a, a, a change of mind about your marriage, a change of mind about how you're approaching work, a change of mind about money? Who, who knows that money is is the biggest indicator of whether Jesus is Lord of our life. It is absolutely the biggest indicator. You read through the Gospels, Jesus addresses it again and again and again. He said, you cannot be a lover of money and, and still call me Lord. It just does not work. He said, only, you can only have one master. And, and so, so who knows that, that money, money, doesn't, um, money doesn't change us. It actually exposes us. You know, whether we have a little amount of money or a large amount of money, it exposes uh, where our hearts are at. And so, so the biggest indicator of whether Jesus is Lord is, is how, how we deal with our money. Uh, what about sex? How has the gospel changed what you think about sex? I know that my journey has been, has been massive in that area. Um, uh, changing my mind about sex, and I, I there, was mo- there, there was a moment, just uh, being vulnerable, there was a moment a few years ago where I, uh, uh, with, with my wife, actually repented to her and to God, because I realized that, that what I had engaged in a, as a young person had actually skewed my mind to what I thought about sex and marriage. And I had to come to this point where I had to be honest with my wife and honest with God and say, my, I need to change my thinking about this. I need to undo some really bad learned things. And I actually apologized to my wife and repented and repented to God. And so what did I do? I, I, I responded to the gospel in the area of sex. And so all of these areas require a response to the gospel. It's not just about Um, turning up to church on Sunday and living a good life. It's it's about actually engaging in this process of discipleship. So we see all through the book of Acts that the early Christians were not only preaching the gospel, the good news, the good news that Jesus is king and he's come to restore all things back to their original identity and purpose. They were preaching the good news, um, but they were also preaching a full response to the gospel. They were preaching the full response to the gospel. A few weeks ago, we had a Q&A session here at church, and some people asked some great questions. Uh, one person asked this question, if the gospel is transformational, why am I not being transformed? If God is transformational, why am I not transformed? And the point is this, is that we are not transformed by the gospel, we are transformed by our response to the gospel. We are transformed when we engage in this process of discipleship and following Jesus faithfully, even when He asks us to do something hard. Who knows that it was hard for me to sit down with my wife and talk about some stuff that I had done when I was younger and engaged as a young man that was actually distorting and bringing destruction into our marriage. Who knows, that that was hard. It wasn't easy. It wasn't a nice night. But man, it was beautiful after. And I tell you what, it, it totally transformed, uh, it had been really, totally transformed our sex life as well. Because why, why does God ask us to engage and respond to the gospel? Because He knows that, it is, that when we do, that the, what is best for us, we actually step into that. And so we respond to the gospel through repentance and, and faith or, or belief. And so. Um, So we're responding to the gospel through obedience and renewing the mind that the gospel is starting to come alive in us. The Holy Spirit is leading us and teaching us and and comforting us. And and the kingdom of heaven is becoming more real as we participate and live in the kingdom. And so it's this constant choice of life and death, the spirit and the flesh. It's, It's obedience to Jesus and obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so what we're really saying is that we're moving Jesus from our advisory board to making him Lord. He's not just on the advisory board anymore. You know, it's just someone we go to for advice and, and maybe we go to a couple of other people. And, and No, no, he's Lord. He's not just on our advisory board. And so Jesus, um, in John 3, verse 3, he's he's talking to this guy, Nicodemus, who's a a religious leader, a religious teacher, and and, um, he's asking, there's there's questions about salvation. And Jesus answered him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, uh, this is the amplified version where it adds in a little bit, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. All right, all right, so what's he saying? Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is, is here, that Jesus' arrival, he says the kingdom of heaven is here. Uh, repent and believe that the kingdom is here, is here. You need to change your thinking. You need to put your trust and your faith in the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here now. But you can't see it and you cannot participate in it unless you are born again. Is this what Jesus is saying? Well, what what is going on? Nicodemus is going. What what are you saying? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb and, and like be like come out again? What like this is confusing. Like anybody, Liz, this is confusing stuff that Jesus is saying. But what he's doing is he's giving us an analogy of what it means to be renewed, regenerated, and recreated as a child of God. And so some of you would have heard me use this before, but but I want to ask you the question this morning: uh, When is a baby born? When is a baby born? Is it, is it when the placenta is cut off? Like that's, that's when it's born? Or is, is it when the baby takes the first breath? Is, the, is it when we wash all of the, the mucky stuff? I don't know what that stuff's called, but the goopy mucky, you know? We, we wash all, I don't I wash it, this a, luckily the nurse did that, it washed. And, and, you know, is, it, is that when the baby's born, it's all cleaned and washed up? Or is it when it first pops its head out? Is that when it's first born or... We, we could have a big discussion about this, but it actually misses the point. The point is, and for those of you that have, that have had a baby, the point is that at the end of the process, all of that has taken place, and, and in your arms is a baby who is fully alive. There's this baby who is, who is fully alive. And, and, and that is the, that's the point. That, that, and that's what Jesus is getting at here, is that there are, there are some responses to the gospel that we need to engage in to become fully alive followers of Jesus. Fully alive followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus wants. He, he's not worried about whether you're in or out. or like, We get so concerned about that stuff. He, he's worried about whether you are fully alive. But who knows if you're fully alive and following Jesus, you know where your eternal destiny is. Because, do you know what I mean? Like the fear is, is gone away from that because you, you are fully alive, engaging in the gospel, engaging in the kingdom, follower of Jesus. And so in the New Testament, we see four clear responses to the gospel. Uh, we see them anticipated in the four Gospels. We see them demonstrated in the book of Acts. And then they're, they're assumed all throughout the epistles. And, and so, so what, what New Testament believers were told was this, that they need to turn away from their sin and turn towards Jesus, put their trust in Jesus, make a clean break with the past, and then open yourself up to the power of God. They're that, that the four things that we see throughout the Gospels that people are told to respond to and so these four things are repentance belief or faith baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit so that's these four things and we're going to skip through them really quick this morning and then we're going to really dive into what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit next week So these are our response to the gospel, and I, I want to suggest this, that sometimes we can think about words like repentance, and that can have a whole lot of baggage for us. We think that's about, um, you know, uh, getting a smack, you know, we've been really naughty and God wants us to come sheepishly up to him and say, oh, we've been a naughty boy and, and God's going to give us a smack and tell us off. No, no, repentance is, that is not repentance. Get that out of your mind. You need to unlearn that. Repentance is changing the mind. Romans 12 verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. This is repentance, changing your mind. It's, it's, it's I used to believe this. I used to think this about who God is. I used to think that he was a, a mean dad. But now I realize and I've come to believe that he is actually a good father. And I've changed my mind about that. I'm, I'm repenting and changing my mind. So I'd like to suggest this, that the designer uh, is putting right what went wrong. When when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of heaven is here and the kingdom is restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose. So he is restoring back what went wrong. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus is doing that. He's restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose and he invites us to participate in that story. We actually get to participate in restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose, starting with us. The kingdom is in you, and it's an inside-out job. He starts with us, and He's restoring you back to your original identity and purpose. And He does that. He gives us this tool to respond to the gospel. And as we do, we're being restored. As we change our mind about what we used to think about God and about ourselves and about the kingdom and about about the people around us and and our world, we actually start to be restored back to our original identity and purpose. And so, so this is what it means to be a disciple. Uh, this is engaging in a restored life, a redeemed life, a renewed life. And, and it's already done at the cross, but it's about you stepping into it and realizing that this has already already taken place. So this is the much fuller understanding of what it means when we are being saved. It's not just about what happens when we die, but the reality that we get to participate in the life of heaven now and that we are ambassadors Ambassadors for this restored, renewed life, participating in it and responding to the good news. So, so, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe the gospel or to believe in Jesus? Uh, often, when we when we talk about faith, um, uh, we we really um, we really shouldn't do this, but we do. We we often put the emphasis on what we do. Uh, f- faith is often the emphasis of, is, you know, we, we just need more faith, or, or we just need to try harder, or, you know, we just need to believe more. Um, but, but faith is not actually about you striving. It's actually about surrender. It's actually about you not striving. It's actually about you letting go and letting Jesus. It's actually a, not about you, you needing to, to work up some more of the this, this substance thing called faith. No, it's actually about letting go and trusting Jesus. See, the New Testament puts emphasis on what God does. In, in Acts 22, um, Paul was told to, told to call on his name, to, to appeal to God, to cry out to him and, and ask him to act on, on his behalf. And so faith is, 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 is not just a, Jesus, please come into my life. Faith is a desperate cry from the heart. Jesus, God, God have mercy on me. I, I need you. Without you, I'm wrecked. Without you, my life is stuff. Without you, I could never uh, do what, what you called me to do. Without you, I, I could never define uh, life on my own. It's, it's this, this cry from the heart that, God, I need you. And, and I, I put my trust and my faith in you. This is what it means to believe in Jesus, not just believe in his existence, but to actually put a faith and a trust in him on a daily basis. A.W. Tozer said, As God is exalted to the to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. So, see, belief is about making Jesus Lord and, and trusting Him that He will bring all things into order, that 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 all things work out for the good of those who love Him, which means I can trust Him, which means that I can rely on Him. He is faithful and He is true. And so when I exalt Him to Lord of my life, in every area, all of those areas... You know, as I make him Lord over my finances, I, I, I start to engage in a kingdom way of seeing money, a kingdom way of finances, and, and actually I, I step into a, a, an abundance that God has. Uh, but if, if I make myself Lord of my money, I mean, it's not going to go well. But, but when I make the Jesus Lord of my money, uh, then I step into his way of living and his way of acting, and who knows that That is good. Phil Pringle once said that if Christians truly made Jesus Lord of their life, they would need a lot less saving. See, we often find our lives in turmoil simply because we don't get real with God and true faith and repentance. So what does it mean to repent? Are we doing okay? What does it mean to repent? Now, I'm convinced that um, the most important part of learning is actually unlearning. So so let's think about repentance like unlearning. We're unlearning the lies, and, and we're starting to believe the truth. Yeah, this is what it means to respond to the gospel. We unlearn the lies, and we start to believe the truth. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I was right into uh, BMX. Uh, I did freestyle BMX. I, I was, um, used to travel around New Zealand a bit, skate parks, and all of that stuff. If you've ever seen X Games, BMX, that was me. Uh, not, not X Games, but... Uh, <laughs> But that's what I used to do. I used to do a lot of that. And so I, I totally like lived and breathed it. dirt jumps and skate parks. It was, it was me. Um, after quite a few years of doing that, I started to get into motocross and downhill uh, mountain biking. And and I, I just thought, as I've lived on two wheels my whole life, I'm just gonna be naturally awesome at motocross and downhill mountain biking. I just thought this is just gonna like it's just gonna be like you know, I'm just going to do it, I'm going to nail it. Uh, the first time I got a downhill mountain bike, I actually went up Makara Peak, um, and it took me ages to bike, like, I'm really unfit. Biked all the way to the to, to, up to, like, the skill section up there, and I was like, there's no way I can go any further, I'm stuffed. And from there, there's only one way down, and it's down the expert trail. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I was like, straight down. But I, I realised that, that a mountain bike and a BMX are very different, and I learned this first in motocross, Um, BMX bikes don't have any suspension so the first time I went over a jump on my dirt bike I just went over it like I would on a BMX and I just went head over heels and just crashed on the ground because you've got to preload your forks when you jump on a mountain bike or anything with front suspension, I'm not used to that and so so the thing is I actually never learned how to preload my forks Because I had spent years and years and years muscle memory of doing it a certain way. And for me to actually do this well, I had to unlearn years and years and years of riding a bike a particular way. Uh, This is what it means to repent. To to unlearn years and years of of stuff that we have learned about ourselves and learned about God that are lies. And and so we then engage in belief in a trust that that what the, the scriptures say about God is true. That God is a good father, and I put my faith and my trust in Him in that area, and I'm unlearning lies and starting to believe the truth. And this is what repentance is. So Alan Hirsch once commented that the idea of repentance, um, he said this, although the word itself is not common, the process of repentance is. He noted that the word repentance is not really used outside of the church, but most people just knew it as the process of unlearning. And he went on to say no one can learn who, has not first, who is not first prepared to unlearn. Likewise, no one can grow in God unless they are willing to repent regularly. So unless you are willing to unlearn regularly, we cannot grow in God. This is what it means to repent. So what happens is just like we form habits, I formed a habit on my BMX bike, just like we form habits, our habits start to form us. And so we, we also form an image of God and then our image of God forms us. And, and so we actually have to unlearn bad images that we have about God, bad images that we have about ourselves and bad images that we have about others. I love what Graham Cook said. He said that the truth sets us free, but before it does that, it should make us angry. See, when we arrive at a truth, it will challenge us. It will make us angry. It will offend us. It will offend our hearts. Who knows that sometimes you have to offend the mind to expose the heart, and so it will offend us. He says that the truth that liberates must kill us first, Our dogma, flesh, super-spirituality and fears must all cease to have life and influence over us. I love this from C.S. Lewis. Remember this, repentance, this willing submission to humiliation and a kind of death is not something God demands of you before He will take you back and which He could let you off if He chose. It is simply a description of what going back to Him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking Him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. See, sometimes we can have in our mind this idea that repentance is something that we must do before God accepts us. No, no, repentance is the picture of coming back to God. It is the journey of coming back to God. I used to think this way about sex or about marriage, but now I'm turning and I'm heading towards God. And I'm starting to believe the truth about my marriage and the truth about sex and the truth about money. It's turning from this way of thinking now to this way of thinking. This is what it means to repent. The prodigal son great story, the beautiful picture of the gospel, that the son leaves the father's house, wants his inheritance, and he goes and, and squanders all the wealth. You know, he prostitutes and and, and drinking and, and all, all of that sort of stuff. L- listen here, the, the prodigal son's sin was not just what he did when he was out squandering all the wealth. The sin was that he left the father's house. A- and the repentance wasn't, The story that he said when he came back, if you read the story, the father interrupts the story. The father's not even interested in the story. Repentance was the day that he said, I'm going back to the father's house. That was the repentance. Yeah, and so we get so caught up thinking that we have to repent of all the little things that we've done in the day. No, no, it's not about that. It's just about us turning back to God and saying, man, I, was, I had some stinking thinking back there, but God, I'm, I'm turning back towards you and the way that you think about me and, and I, I want to know your truth about who you are. This is what repentance is. And, and, and this whole thing is starting to set us up for a life led by the Spirit. Some people, they say, oh, I don't know. I don't really have a good relationship with the Holy Spirit. I, I don't even know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet everything else is still Lord. No, we've, we've, got to, we've got to make Jesus Lord of our life and start turning towards Him. And the Holy Spirit comes upon that. He's into that. It's almost like He, he looks at us and we're, we're going this way. And, and, and we want to do it our way. And the Holy Spirit's going, well, I can't be part of that. I can't engage with that. And then we say, well, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn now. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus, and I'm going to go this way. And the Holy Spirit's like, I'm on that. Like, I'm all over that. Let's do that. And now what what are we doing? We're starting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our, Our part is to turn. Yeah? And no one can call Jesus Lord unless empowered by the Holy Spirit, yeah? So our job is to turn. I'm going this way. Jesus, I want to go towards you. And the Holy Spirit starts to empower us to actually call Jesus Lord, to actually make him Lord of our life. We're doing okay? Baptism. I'll talk really quickly about this and then we'll finish. Um, So baptism in water. Baptism is um, I love baptism. Baptism is this beautiful picture. I I like to think of it like this. It's Baptism is this prophetic act where we point back to the cross and and we say there the lie died and the true me was revived. And we step into the water and scripture describes it as as we, we go into the water, our old nature dies in the water and we come up a new creation. And, and so it's this prophetic act. It's more than just a public, public confession of faith. It's a, this prophetic act that, that says, I, I, I am fully committed to this Jesus King way of life. And, and I, I want to come up cleansed, renewed, and, and fully committed to that life. A whole new creation. And, and so baptism actually requires repentance and faith. If you look through the, um, the New Testament, they would, they would baptize new believers straight away. But they always looked for two things. They always looked for faith towards Jesus and repentance. Got those going on in your life? Let's get you baptized. Who knows that, that if, if you were just doing baptism to tick a box without faith and repentance, it's just a, it's just a bath in public. And, and that, do you know what I mean? Like, like it's faith and repentance is part of that whole deal. And so I think it's really beautiful. Um, in 1 Peter 3, verse 21, it says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. When it points back to the resurrection, and, and, and it speaks to our resurrection, our new life in Christ. All right, so next week we're going we're gonna to look at um, what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm really looking forward to that. I'll just leave you with one verse. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will receive power. You will receive power. I remember years ago when Haynes stood up here promoting um, Promise Keepers in pure power, and it was everyone was like, "Yeah, you know, maybe next week we'll get you up here, Haynes, just to get, yeah." But that's what—that's who he is, hey. Eh? Like the Holy Spirit, he is pure power. You know, like, like, like he 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 like everything about what it means to follow Jesus and be a disciple. Like, we need him. Like, honestly, if you want to come to church on Sunday and then go home and live your own life, cool. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. Come on, you need His power in everyday life. You need Him to faithfully follow Jesus. If we're going to be the faithful, reconciling presence of Jesus in this community, boy, do we need the Holy Spirit. And He empowers us for the mission. Come on, church isn't the mission. Church is the missionary. Yeah, we're meant to get outside the four walls, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be the missionaries in our community, we're meant to bring uh, the goodness and the greatness of God into our community and restore all things back to their original identity and purpose. Amen? Come on, that's what it's all about. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you as we, as we head into the next 21 days of prayer and fasting. We thank you that there are opportunities to gather together as your body to pray and to seek your face. And, and, and there, are, there are moments of us just being alone and just, just resting with you and saying, God, I just want to be consumed with you. Father, Father I pray that the next 21 days will be uh, just as, like uh, we will be setting ourselves up for just an, an encounter with you. That, that we would be just so filled with your presence and filled with your spirit. Father, I pray that this, this church would be turned on its head. Father, I, I pray that, that we would have, have a moment, an encounter with you. I just think of the, 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 the day of Pentecost when, when, when Holy Spirit, you came. For the first time, you came into, into, into people, into, into human beings, and you came upon them in power, and they were so filled that they, they went from, from people who were denying Jesus to people who were so full of courage and boldness that they went and preached, and 3,000 people got saved. I, I thank you that, that, that when the Holy, Holy Spirit, you came upon them, that they were so bold and so courageous that they would go to their death for you, Jesus. Father, I, I thank you that this is the kind of power that we desire. This is, this is the kind of knowledge of, of you, Holy Spirit, that we desire. Father, I pray that, that this church would be turned on its head. Father, we, we don't want to just play church. We don't want just, to just come on Sundays and sing some songs and go home and live our own lives. But Father, we want to know what it truly means to make you Lord of our life. And we know, Holy Spirit, we can only do that by your power in us. And, and so right now, I, I just, even for myself, I, I turn from, from wrong thinking about uh, that the fact that I could maybe get life on my own, that, that I could come, somehow sustain my own life, and I repent from that, and I turn towards you, Jesus, knowing that you are the author and the perfecter of my faith, and, the, and that you are the sustainer of my life. And I Thank you, Jesus, that, that you are transforming us into your image and likeness as we respond to the gospel on a daily basis. And I thank you that, that, God, your message is good news. It's good news in our sex life. It's good news in our marriage. It's good news in our relationships. It's good news in our workplaces. It's good news in every area of our life. And I pray that it would become good news in every area of our life, that our lives would be transformed by your gospel as we respond over the next coming weeks. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome, all right. Great, well, we've got a couple of notices. Um, Just one other thing, if you're wanting to know a little bit more about repentance, I I wrote a booklet a couple of years ago that is available out there, Um, has some good information in it.